A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 181. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week on Insight Sunday we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. For those of you who don't know, Janice Lentz is the founder and CEO of Hearing Access and Innovations, which is the leading company dedicated to helping the world's businesses, cultural and entertainment institutions, government agencies, and mass transit organizations improve their accessibility for people with hearing loss. Janice's passion and mission to increase hearing access is backed by her accomplishments as a consultant and advocate across multiple sectors, including technology, innovation, advocacy, government, and politics. To give you just a tiny taste of Janice's incredible, award-worthy accomplishments, Janice successfully advocated for the installation of $13.5 million worth of induction loops throughout New York City Transit Authority, which the way that works, for those of you who may not know or may not had it be relevant for you just yet, it directly transmits announcements into accessible hearing aids. Janice is also a travel and consumer education writer. She's traveled to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. She's going to graduate from Harvard Kennedy School with her MPA in 2023 as well. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams, and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout. If you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D adaptation framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn 
to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching. Our Insight Sunday conversation was so packed and full of value that I just had to share it with you in two parts. In part one, Janice shares the story behind her passion, advocacy, and consulting firm. She digs into the mindset and decisions that got the ball rolling, as well as how she harnessed her adaptive brain to create colossal change. In part two, we dig into how Janice created a vision for a more accessible world and used travel, advocacy, and consulting to shift the world into alignment with her new vision. And now, without further ado, join me in welcoming Janice Lintz. Welcome, Janice. Thank you, Yishai. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for grabbing a seat with me on the business couch today. And by way of introduction on Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of entrepreneurs and business leaders, just like you, to uncover insights into how your mind works and extract tangible takeaways to learn and implement. But I just really wanted to start with your journey. Can you tell us about your road into founding and leading hearing access and innovations? And of course, your mission and your passion and advocacy for accessibility. Well, thank you so much, Ichai, for clearly explaining everything. I really appreciate it. I have a daughter who has a hearing loss. And right after she was diagnosed, the doctor said, don't worry, there are special schools for her. I hadn't mm. even wrapped my head around the diagnosis. And suddenly the bar was lowered for her entire life. That was unacceptable. I had no mm. interest in being thrust into that world. And I decided it was easier to change the world than to change my standards. My daughter then went to a top girls school an Ivy League, and she's now in a graduate Ivy League program. So I don't think that's the special schools that doctor thought, but I Mm -hmm. think they're super special. Yeah, it's not what the doctor was pointing at. And I just have to pull out something you said that I think is so, so important and really sounds like it's at the core of what you do and why you do it. It's easier to change the world than lower your standards. Can you say a little bit more about that? We were living this life um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. You can't live in New York City and not partake of the culture. That's the whole reason for me. It's the essence of why you live in a major metropolitan city is to go to the cultural institutions, the Lincoln Center, the Metropolitan Museum. This is, you know, all the events. But my daughter couldn't hear. And so I was not willing to just pack up my belongings, move out of the city or live in the city and not be able to go anywhere. What were we going to do with our life? So to me, it was going to change. I didn't even know what access was. I didn't know how this would work, but I figured, okay, first situate my daughter with her hearing aids, and then I could tackle this next project. And that's what I did. I started Mm -hmm. slowly. And then when I realized that I could accomplish the success in New York City, I expanded across the U.S. and then around the world. As you mentioned, I've traveled to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. So travel is an integral part of my being. I mean, Mm -hmm. I live to travel, you know, it's like my oxygen. And so for me, while I'm traveling, I saw what needed to be fixed. And I also saw what was available. It wasn't just going around fixing things. It was like, Mm. wow, this exists somewhere else. So I decided like, I needed to fix all of this. This to me became my mission. I don't know why I thought I could do it. I just never even occurred to me. I couldn't, it was like, oh yeah, I could do this. Yeah. I wanted to connect something I think is so fascinating. You talk about how 
passionate you are in traveling and how important it is. You called it your oxygen. And I heard that as you talked about your travels, that you went to all these different places. And because of your experience with your daughter, you became, and you were acutely aware of ways in which your daughter was experiencing the world or not able to experience the world. And so that showed you things that needed to be fixed, areas that really were ripe for improvement and change. And I'm also hearing the second thing that happened as you were traveling across the world is you started also to get access to things like technologies or resources that existed in one place, but didn't exist in a lot of other places. And I wonder if you can kind of share a story about that. And I say that because in my head, as you were saying that, it felt to me like you were this connector. And all your traveling was your way of getting signals from different places, signals about things that needed to be fixed, but also signals about how to fix things. And so I would really like to hear another example of that or a moment where you experienced that. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. So there are two different things. One was the taxi project, which is an example behind me. I was in England in London with my daughter. We saw an ear symbol. And I didn't know what that was. And the taxi driver who wore hearing aids explained this was an induction loop. And what an induction loop does is it brings the sound from the speaker to the person wearing a hearing aids or a cochlear implant directly into their instrument so they can receive the sound when they switch to the telecoil setting. I had never seen that. And I remember when my daughter tried it, it was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Mm. How does New York City not have this? And then when I found out it had been in London's taxi since 1978, and this was, I would say, give or take around 1996-ish. And it was like, why doesn't this exist in New York City? We're a major metropolitan city. Doesn't anyone leave the states? And clearly not. I mean, you see in this country, we have people fighting over the infrastructure and having fast trains, which exist in other countries. And I don't think politicians leave the country and travel and understand the possibilities of what exists, this isn't like saying you want a pipe dream. This is like, it exists, why not here? But it would be frustrating. So that was when I saw the access. One of the places we traveled a lot around the United States because I love seeing the US in addition to other countries. And I love our country's national parks. I think it's like the greatest jewel that this country has. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being at the Gettysburg Park at the time, it's been renovated. There was a giant map of Gettysburg and there would be sound, some uh, recorded sound explaining the Gettysburg, you know, what happened in Gettysburg and little lights would pop up explaining where the battles happened, except there was no sound system for my daughter to hear. And all she saw is these lights popping across the map and had no idea what was going on. I was Serious, because here was this golden opportunity to educate my daughter about the Gettysburg battle. And she had no clue what was going on. Frankly, it was hard for me to hear without a hearing loss, but mm-hmm. it was poorly designed. But I went to the park, you know, the person in charge, and they said, oh, yeah, it's been broken for about six months. Six months. It wasn't wow. like they said, like, this was just broke yesterday. We're so sorry. We're working on it. It's been broken for six months. and. We don't know when it'll be fixed. And like not even a slight glimmer of care, not even a modicum of care. Like so much resignation. It's like, oh, it is what it is. Complete resignation. And it was like, I came all the way to Gettysburg 
for my daughter to understand and learn about this important battle and you don't even have the courtesy to have it working. Mm. That is insane. Mm. And I remember we were leaving the park and I filed a complaint. When you file complaints with the federal government about disability access to implement a timeline, you have to put on the subject line 504 complaint. And suddenly, instead of the complaint going into some random pile, the complaint has a federally mandated timeline that Mm. they have to address it. So I had learned this to give you an idea how old this was. I was using a BlackBerry. So I'm in the car (laughs) on my BlackBerry typing this complaint out, just pounding those keys, Mm. furious by it. And so I filed so many complaints and we went to multiple national parks that they asked me to testify before the subcommittee on national parks now called the natural resources committee. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I was furious about this and the park has now been remedied and they've added the access. We have not been back, but mm-hmm. supposedly it's there and it's been remedied and it was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And I found this was not a one-off situation. This was par for the course. And mm. so I was like, I don't understand. Why do people not care? And it just became my mission of like, well, I'm going to make sure you care. Right? <laughs> like you clearly care so much. And there are, of course, really important reasons that you do. And because you care so much. And I'm also hearing a piece that's really around your thought process as well, which we'll get to in a moment, but you care so much. And when you see people around you who don't seem to care or don't seem to recognize the consequences of it, the consequences that your daughter can't engage in or learn, and that's totally unacceptable. And if I'm understanding, it's also not legal. (laughs) Legally, she should have access to those things. Without a doubt. I'm taking down, by the way, notes because I'm finding this so thought so interesting myself that I'm like, oh, I must jot this down. These are mm-hmm. great kernels of knowledge. But yes, that is exactly what it was. There's a law in place. It's called the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be a mere suggestion to some people. And I was going to ensure that this was not a mere suggestion, but the law, which has a federally unfunded mandate with no teeth, suddenly developed teeth. I was going to mm-hmm. become the teeth. And, and that was it. And I was going to be the person who reminded them what their job was. Mm -hmm. And this is what I started doing. And so it started not as a project, not as a company, not as an anything. It's Mm -hmm. just a way for our family to function because we couldn't. You know, it's one thing if you go to one place and it doesn't work, but if every mm -hmm. place is the same, your child falls below their peers. Mm. Yeah, I'm hearing there's such a stark contrast between the person you spoke to at the park who seemed to just be resigned and just kind of accept it. Like, oh, I guess it is what it is. And what I'm hearing for you, and this is, I think there are two processes going on. One is a process that's a thought process, a mindset process. And another one is an emotion process, which I really want to point out and dig into. The first process is intellectually and personally, your belief, your way of thinking and seeing and knowing the world is that your daughter has a right. And that right is not something that people get to just be blasé about or trample over. It isn't something that they can, in their own resignation, that that's not permissible. And it's not permissible to you. And that moves straight into that emotion process, right? The emotions that I'm hearing you talk about, I mean, clearly you're extremely passionate about it. Clearly you care so much about your daughter and her education and her access. 
And that's extended in such an incredible, beautiful way for so many people, I'm sure, benefited from those complaints and from your advocacy. That image is now burned into my brain. You sitting there on your BlackBerry, furiously pounding the keys because you're angry. And there's a kind of righteous indignation. And a lot of people, and I think in general, a lot of people think about anger as being this very undesirable or out of control emotion. And the thing about anger, from my perspective, is the way I understand emotions and our emotion system is our limbic system, where our emotions are being generated. That system is actually designed to help us adapt. It's an adaptive system. It is there to generate new awareness, new analysis, and new action. And in your case, that anger, which is at the seat of, though it might not be all of, it's certainly at the seat of that passion, that moment. That anger told you, it generated new awareness. This is something my daughter doesn't have access to. And that is completely unacceptable. For any of you out there listening, right? Imagine you go to a museum and you want to go and see a bunch of paintings and all the paintings are off the wall, right? That's what it's like to go to a park and there's a system that's designed to share a story, but it's broken and, and you can't hear it. You don't have access to hear it. You know, the experience of that is why would you even bother going to the museum if you couldn't see anything? So what I'm hearing, Janice, for you, and I really wanted to connect this point because I think it's so important, is it generated that awareness because you have your daughter with you. People who don't have that, and I'll be the first, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I don't think about it. I'm privileged. I'm not somebody who needs to think about it. And because I don't need to think about it, when it happens, I may be a little bit frustrated. I might have a bit of a hard time. And for me, it's not going to register in the same way. It's not going to generate that new awareness. For you, it absolutely does. And for your daughter, it does. Right? And that's such a stark contrast there. The second thing it does is it generates analysis. It's designed to help us analyze things. What's not okay? What can I do about it? How can I deal with it? Which led you to figuring out that awareness then pushed you to do some analysis to figure out how do you file a complaint that it actually gets dealt with? That analysis led you to channel that anger into an action that would be helpful, which is that third piece, the new action. That is our emotional brain, but it's also our adaptive brain. That's literally what our brain is designed to do. That's how our brain helps us adapt and how it creates change in ourselves and our relationships and in the world. Most of the time people are changing what they're doing or trying to push for change. There's a very important set of emotions that are underpinning it because it's our adaptive brain at work. Without a doubt. And your analysis is spot on. And so that's exactly the anger was turned into action. And if we all had to process all the slights of the world every single day, we wouldn't be able to function. And it would, it, because it's just overwhelming, especially in this world, it would be, be very overwhelming, hard. right? Yeah. It would be overwhelming. But the problem was it was the people whose job it was to be aware of those issues were, mm-hmm. didn't care. And it was a blase attitude. They became very aware and suddenly did start to care. When I testified about it before, I mean, that's what you shared, the National Park Service Committee in Congress, they suddenly did care. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. 
You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 